0: Thoughts from the Hairy Head, the weekly podcast where I talk about, well, whatever happens to be bouncing around inside my head at the moment, but mostly focusing on constitutional issues and political decentralization. This is episode 99 of Thoughts from the Hairy Head, and I appreciate you tuning in. This week, I'm going to talk about the first American immigration crisis. So, just a quick bit of housekeeping before we get into our subject for today. I'm going to be out of town next week, so that means there will be no episode of Thoughts from a Harry Head. I could be really ambitious and uh, go ahead and try to get it done before I leave, but you know, we're looking at episode 100, and I want to do episode 100 right, so you're going to have to wait an extra week. So, This week, I want to talk about what generally is a very contentious subject in American politics, and that's immigration. So usually the debates revolve around things like building a wall and pathways to citizenship, but very seldom do we even stop and think about the more fundamental issue, and that's who constitutionally has the authority over immigration. Now, most Americans immediately assume that it's the federal government, and they don't give it a second thought. But the Constitution does not delegate any power to the federal government to regulate immigration at all. You can look through the Constitution, you will not see immigration mentioned anyplace. Now, Article 1, Section 8 gives Congress the authority to establish an uniform rule of naturalization. But naturalization only relates to granting citizenship. This does not infer any power at all to control resident aliens within the border of a state. So if you just look at the 10th Amendment, you see nothing regulating immigration. The immediate thing that you should think is, well, maybe the federal government doesn't have this power. Maybe it belongs in the state governments. And we can learn a little bit about how the founding generation thought about immigration if we look at the very first immigration debate. And that happened all the way back in 1798. Now, at the time, the U.S. was involved in what was called the Quasi-War. It was an undeclared naval war with France. And uh, we don't really need to get into the the politics of the Quasi-War, but this created a great deal of anti-French sentiment in the United States. In fact, a lot of people were afraid of the French. They were afraid the French were going to somehow undermine the uh, new American Republic. And this perceived need to protect America from this French threat provided just the excuse Congress needed to expand federal power. And it basically played on fears. I mean, you can just think of it and just like we think of Muslims today. There's a lot of people that fear Muslims. They want to keep Muslims out. This same attitude was directed at the French in 1798. So the Naturalization Act passed on June 18, 1798. And this all it did was extend the amount of time that immigrants were required to live in the United States before they were eligible for citizenship. It expanded it from 5 to 14 years. And this created a lot of political debate, but the law didn't raise any constitutional issues. I mean, writing rules of naturalization, this clearly falls within the federal government's enumerated powers, as I said just a few minutes ago. So, then we had the Alien Friends Act, uh, more formally known as an act concerning aliens. And this passed Congress on June 25th, 1798, and it gave the president sweeping power to deport quote-unquote dangerous Aliens. Then on July 6th, Congress passed an act respecting alien enemies, and this authorized the arrest, imprisonment, and deportation of any male who is a citizen of a nation at war with the United States. So together, we call these the Alien Acts. Democrat Republicans, including James Madison and Thomas Jefferson, primarily opposed these acts because they violated the Fifth Amendment by denying due process. And uh, they also argued that the acts were unconstitutional because they placed judicial powers in the hands of the executive branch. But in his report of 1800, and I'll link to that in the show notes, Madison also argued that the act concerning aliens in particular violated the 10th Amendment by asserting power over resident aliens. Madison denied that the federal government had any authority and said it was rightly the role of a state to determine who was allowed within its own borders. Now, Madison starts out making a very important distinction between alien enemies and alien friends. An alien enemy is a citizen of a country with which America is at war. And Madison admits that Congress does have power over alien enemies. But he says this authority does not extend to citizens of countries with which the U.S. is not at war. He wrote, with respect to alien enemies, no doubt has been intimated as to the federal authority over them, the Constitution having expressly delegated to Congress the power to declare war against any nation, and of course to treat it and all its members as enemies. With respect to aliens who are not enemies, but members of nations in peace and amity with the United States, the power assumed by the act of Congress is denied to be constitutional. Here, Madison plainly asserts that Congress does not have the authority to deport non-citizens, nor does the president. He hints at this again a few paragraphs later. Supporters of the Alien Act claim that the admittance into the U.S. was a, quote, favor, that it was not a right. And as such, it could be revoked at any time. So I'm doing a favor letting you in. I can do you an unfavor and kick you out. Madison said that even if this were the case, it would not prove the Alien Acts were constitutional. He said a question would still occur whether the Constitution had vested the discretionary power of admitting aliens in the federal government or in the state governments. Obviously, Madison thought it was in the state governments. He then goes on to address an argument that was based on the law of nations. Supporters of the Alien Act claimed that aliens could be removed discretion for offenses against the law of nations. But Madison again turned to the distinction between alien friends and alien enemies. Quote, the distinction between alien enemies and alien friends is a clear and conclusive answer to this argument. Alien enemies are under the law of nations and liable to be punished for offenses against it. Alien friends, except in the single case of public ministers, are under the municipal law and must be tried and punished according to that law only. Again, the federal government does not have any authority over persons who are welcomed within the borders of a state unless they are citizens of a country with which the U.S. has declared war. So Madison goes on and he expands on this distinction between alien friends and alien enemies, and this is obviously a very important point in his mind. He expands it even farther by considering the various offenses that a non-citizen can commit. He says they are punishable first for offenses that are committed by their nation that they are involved with, and secondly, they can be punished for offenses that they commit on their own. The first would fall under the federal jurisdiction under the laws of war, because they're alien enemies, but not the second. These are, quote, magisterial matters. In other words, these fall under the state police powers. Madison writes, under this view of the subject, the act of Congress for the removal of alien enemies being comfortable to the law of nations is justified by the Constitution, and the act of the removal of alien friends being repugnant to the constitutional principle of municipal law are unjustifiable. So this is Madison's most emphatic statement regarding the deportation of immigrants. Unless they are citizens of countries with which America is in a declared war, he calls it repugnant and unjustifiable. So Madison's arguments in the report of 1800 don't in and of themselves prove that the federal government doesn't have authority over immigration. It's just one document after all, but it certainly strongly supports this position. And it's important to note that Madison builds his case on the most fundamental constitutional principle. It is incumbent in this, as in every other exercise of power by the federal government, to prove from the Constitution that it grants the particular power exercise. Well, that's it for this episode of Thoughts from Meharry Head. We're another 10 minutes closer to freedom. I really appreciate you tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please do me a favor and spread the word. Feel free to send me any thoughts or ideas to michael.meharry at And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast over at iTunes for free. Thanks again for listening, and I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks.